I want to give a shout out to Aventus, the world's leader in trade surveillance for digital assets. Trusted by Coinbase, Gemini, OSL, and many others, Aventus is also helping scores of other firms enter the crypto market. For digital asset trade surveillance, think Aventus. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And we have a very special guest joining us today. He's trying to make as many appearances as his, I, I don't know if technically it's not boss, but compadre at least. That is, ben, that's impossible. That's yeah, impossible. he's been on the show four times. Brett Harrison, president at FTX US. This is his first time, hopefully the first of many. Brett, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, Frank. Great to be here. Well, we should dive in first to a bit of your history. I want to I want to rewind the clock because we're both we both have some connection in Jane Street. You may not know this or maybe oh, really? you did at the time. Okay. I did not work there. I wrote one story about Jane Street when I was at Business Insider. This was back in 2018. It might have overlapped with your time there. But I actually broke when they were looking to hire crypto Bitcoin folks. So that was when I first sort of, uh, I was covering the HFT world. You've also been at Citadel Securities. So, you know, we, we're kind of kindred spirits in a sense. Yeah, sure. Uh, your work is probably a bit more difficult than uh, just, <laughs> I mean, we're both typing away at a computer all day. Yeah, it's, it's exactly it. So, you know, you're an expert in the HFT trading systems world, and now you're kind of doing, it's a little bit different, right? You're leading a retail business. What has the transition been like? Yeah, sure. Um, briefly go into my background. So you know, I spent around 13 years in traditional finance space, working for proprietary trading firms, first Jane Street, then Headlands Technologies, and then Citadel Securities before coming over to FTX US. I uh, was helping build out on the software engineering side, things like algorithmic trading systems, research tools, user interfaces, parameter management systems, low latency order gateways, you know, these kinds of software, but also managing you know, medium to large teams of software engineers who were building those kinds of systems, you know, all for proprietary trading firms. And uh, well, while I was at Jane Street, I overlapped with Sam Bankman-Fried. That's how we got to know each other. And somewhat recently, he sort of texted me, we were texting out of the blue, and he was like, hey, you want to come over to FTX? And I was like, oh my God, let's do it. And within a week or so, it all just came together very quickly, moved over to FTX US. And yeah, it's completely different, and it's an entirely new experience for me. I actually had very little experience in crypto before coming over to FTX US. You know, as you said, you were covering uh, Jane Street in sort of early 2018, as it was starting to hire for crypto. I was at Jane Street until January 2018. 
And in sort of late 2017 was when Jane Street was first entering the world of crypto trading, crypto arbitrage. And so I got to see some of the beginnings of that and help out with the beginnings of that from that side back when I sort of thought, yeah, this this industry has a really long way to go in terms of building out you know, proper exchanges and you know, robust technology that would be fit for like these big trading firms like Jane Street and you know whoever else to get into. And it's amazing now being on the other side of that and actually you know running one of these exchanges that so many of these large HFTs, hedge funds, prop trading firms are trading on. So walk us through. So FTX US aptly name right serving the US market with I'm assuming leveraging a bit of the technology that. FTX has. Is that the relationship? Right. So there's FTX or what we call FTX International, which started first, that was two years ago, as a crypto derivatives exchange. So primarily you know, FTX was you know, the futures trading exchange, which is I think I think what it's mm. for. And it was Sam's response to wanting to trade derivatives, seeing the world of derivatives exchanges not looking so good. Uh, from the standpoint of safeguarding customer funds and bad margining systems and crazy leverage and the whole like risk system was liquidating people left and right. And he built out this amazing derivatives platform with the team. And then that grew organically and very quickly to become the fourth largest or second largest, depending on how you're counting, exchange in the world for trading crypto and crypto derivatives. Now, separately around a year ago, they decided to launch a U.S. platform because in the U.S. you can't allow derivatives trading unless it's regulated by the CFTC. And at the time, you know, FTX did not have you know a CFTC license; it could not offer those products in the U.S. So it decided, what well, we do have this amazing technology that has you know, close to 100% uptime with this awesome you know, user interface and great tools for institutional traders and an iPhone app and an Android app, and thought, well, we can still offer spot crypto tokens, mm. some portion of them in the US as a business, and basically build a competitor to, you know, name your favorite US exchanges, Coinbase, Kraken, mm-hmm. it just, just primarily focusing on spot crypto tokens. So that's what FTX US is today. But it's still part of the whole empire, if you will, like it's own. Yeah, by- so, it, you know, it shares the brand, the brand being mm. FTX, both of them are, you know, Manjari owned by, you know, Sam Bankman Freed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we share some, a lot of functions together between the two companies, but, you know, importantly for us to be a U.S. regulated business, you know, we, you know, our FinCEN regulated, you know, money services business, you know, we do keep a separate company. We have a separate compliance staff, separate legal staff. So we have this sort of separate group of people running this U.S. based business, some shared aspirations like to build the largest spot business in the world, but also some separate ones as well. So I think everyone who's listening is familiar with FTX vis-a-vis the gangbuster fundraise that we reported on earlier this year, right? At yeah. a $18 billion valuation, raising $900 million. I wish Sam would have went all the way for a billion, neither <laughs> here nor there. But how much of that war chest do you guys have exposure to or are you going to go out and raise your own and create you know, a sizable force? That's a good question. You know, I, I don't think it was predetermined when doing the raise, uh, we're going to exactly allocate you know, 45.6% towards the US business, but more that by raising all this capital, 
we now have a lot more options. And in the U.S., a lot of what we would like to do might involve some strategic acquisitions or partnerships of various kinds. And if and when those arise, we'll now have the flexibility to be able to do them. Now, it could be that some of those arise first in the international side of things. So it it sort of depends, but it is not like it's sort of predetermined what's going to be allocated to the U.S. business. I think it's also very possible that sometime in the not too distant future, we do a separate race for FTX US. I don't think that's out of the question at all, given you know where we want to head and a lot of the you know the bigger plans that we have for the US business. Mm. So let's walk through that specifically. I don't know. I feel like we should have written this story or someone should have written this story, but I think I saw an article recently. So someone else wrote the story. You know, you're eyeing derivatives yourself and trying to expand the suite of products, looking out into the you know next year, what do you want FTX US to look like? Is it as simple as, okay, I want to be doing X amount of volumes, or is it these are the products I want? What's the sort of game plan? Sure. So I think I can split the vision for FTX US up into three major buckets. The first bucket is just the expansion of our retail user base. So when you think about FTX and FTX US and what they have grown up as, they've really grown up as platforms for traders, for professional traders, for institutions. And because of that, we have built this awesome product. That is, it has to have all the maturity and the uptime and the robustness and the great risk system and margin system required to be able to service those kinds of clients. And now the question is, how do we go after this huge user base, for example, the you know, 60 million people that are signed up with Coinbase and get them onto our platform. In some sense, we think it's a lot easier to go from the hard institutional adoption to the low frequency users on the retail side than it is to go the other way. So we have the product, but now there's a completely different set of challenges we have to face, which include things like marketing and branding and advertising and designing and optimizing our mobile experience to make it as easy as possible for users and just letting people know that you know we exist and we're a great place to trade and we're also a much less expensive place to trade you know just thinking about coinbase in particular if you go and out and trade you know $100 worth of bitcoin on coinbase you're going to pay over like 3.5% in like sort of total fees and effective spread for that $100 Whereas on the FTX app, you know, our retail app where you also just hit a single button to buy, it's more like 50 basis points, about a half percent. Mm. So you're paying maybe seven times the amount of fees on Coinbase as FTX. And this is sort of, it's not a secret. It's just that Coinbase is this household name. They're the incumbent. They've been here for almost a decade. They're the only public company in the US that's a crypto exchange. And so we're competing against that ingrained brand recognition that Coinbase has among the sort of the US user base. You think you can do it on price though, Brett? You think people care if they can make 100% on a crypto that they're going to pay 150 basis points versus 50? It's a really interesting question. You know, when I think about what makes Robinhood so successful, for a lot of people, it was the no fee aspect. Mm. But maybe that's not the whole story. And what it really is, is that they just built an awesome app that it looks great, feels super fun to use. It's really intuitive. You know, I was on the plane, you know, a couple of days ago going back and forth to New York and I saw five different people within the rows around me on the plane using Robinhood. 
from all walks of life, old, young, doesn't matter. Like everyone is using this app because it's easy for them. And so maybe that's really the story and the no fees aspect isn't really that story. And so the work we have to do, the hill we have to climb is less about a direct head-to-head -head comparison on fees and more about just building a better mobile experience with more features. So yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, no, I think I was tweeting about this the other day. Um, you know, Robinhood, it wasn't so much that people were excited to pay less as they were to be part of an experience where it's like, all right, I'm not getting gypped and this app right. looks nice. So I'm sure they would have been fine paying more for a better experience, but I don't know. You have to give Robinhood credit. Like the app is sleek. And when they rolled out that, like, I mean, the experience is like shopping on Amazon versus like a more clunky brokerage. Right. Yeah. I and mean, we've all seen a lot of these other apps or desktop tools for trading. And I'm sure you've seen lots of these in your career as well. And Robinhood looks like nothing else that's come before it. The chart for showing the price has almost no labels on it. And no one cares because it's just, there's a couple numbers. It's really easy to follow. It's fun to screenshot and share with your friends. And, and you know, maybe that's the answer. Maybe another piece of this is the customer service aspect. So part of the claim to fame for FTX is not only that we you know, have this great product and we innovate really fast, but that we listen to our user base. A lot of the organic growth of FTX just came from people on Twitter saying, hey, I'd really like you to move this button over here to make it easier to click. Or it'd be really great if we had this cool feature of the order book, or it'd be nice if you guys could list these kinds of products. And then famously, you know, Sam responding to them on Twitter, sure. And then you know, a couple hours later, it's done. And maybe that's something that will also set us apart is that this retail user base wants to be heard. If they have a problem, they want someone to reach out to them and help them fix it as fast as possible especially when it involves people's money. You know, if they're having a problem depositing or withdrawing funds, sometimes if you're, you're dealing with some huge existing company, you can get lost and you might not get that you know, personal user experience. And maybe that's another place in which we can you know, outcompete a lot of our you know, potential competitors. When the deal was announced with Blockfolio, I think you guys are FTX as a group, if you will, not sure if FTX US made the purchase per se, but in any case, a hundred fifty right. million dollar deal. The whole idea was to kind of leverage that user base to then kick into FTX US. How have flows changed since that deal? And have you actually seen the benefit of that deal? Can you share maybe like what percentage of formerly known as Blockfolio? Now I think yep. it's it's FTX. FTX. Um, branded now. Yep. How many have gone over? I mean, I guess all of them now because it's the same branding, but are they trading as well on FTX US? Yeah, good question. So purchasing Blockfolio was a great user acquisition move, right? There's something like six or seven million users of Blockfolio, which was primarily just a portfolio tracking app, but a really, really good one. And with tons of users, not just in the US, but all over the world. And now that we have access to this huge user base, well, let's, let's convert them into trading users on FTX or FTX US, right? So in some sense, I will say, yes, that it has been successful. And uh, you know, a good percentage of those users did end up signing up for trading. You know, definitely uh, more than 10% have you know, signed up for trading. Now that it's different than getting actual active users, 
people sort of at first sign up for trading, maybe because they hear the announcement or there's a lot of hype around it, or there's a particular ad or brain you know, branding campaign is different from people who will in a dedicated way, come back to the app and, you know, trade. I'm not exactly sure how often you know, a retail user trades on, let's say, you know, Coinbase or Kraken. It's probably something like four times a month. Mm. At least that's what I think it is for you know, your average Robinhood user. But we have you know, work to do to convert many of those users down the funnel into being active users of FTX. Now, I will say the ways in which we found it hasn't worked so well is, and this is a huge reason why we ended up doing this big rebranding and renaming of Blockfolio to FTX, is that we found ourselves splitting our branding resources. You know, if we were going to do a big partnership deal with someone, you know, we worked with you know, Trevor Lawrence or Tom Brady, we would ask ourselves the question, what should they go out and advertise that they're using? Should it be Blockfolio, which is really the app that we would like all the retail people to come to? You know, it's well-designed and well-crafted to be a retail app. But then that Blockfolio name doesn't really jive with FTX. And if you're seeing all of the success and the popularity of FTX, if you're seeing Sam on CNBC and you're associating Sam with CNBC and with FTX, how do you link those two together? And I think there was sort of a light bulb moment where, you know, we went to Miami for the, for the BTC conference and, you know, we had a booth down there for Blockfolio and FTX and people in the crypto world, the people who actually traveled to Miami because they love crypto. They wanted to talk about it with people. They wanted to meet people. Were saying to us, "Oh, I didn't know FTX owned Blockfolio, even though that deal happened months ago. Even though we tried to advertise it as much as we could." And if we thought, "Well, if people in the crypto world don't know this, how is some average person who's coming over from stocks into crypto for the first time going to wrap their head around? Well, there's FTX, there's FTX US, and one of them owns Blockfolio, and Blockfolio is turned into a trading app that maybe trades to FTX or FTX US based on your jurisdiction. Oh my God, it's hard to explain." Super confusing. Super confusing. So what we said instead was, wouldn't it be great if you type in FTX into your Apple iOS app store search bar because you drove by the FTX arena in Miami. And the first thing that comes up is an app called FTX and you download it. And really quickly, you like deposit funds and buy some Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. That was sort of the vision of where we had to get as fast as possible. And now that we're there, we think, now the work really begins of you know, converting all of those users out there to our app, whether it's from another platform or whether it's you know, from the traditional world of stocks and investing. I want to give another shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leading platform for digital asset trade surveillance, market risk, and transaction monitoring with some of the largest crypto exchanges and institutions in the world using Aventus to drive efficiencies in their regulatory operations and mitigate the risks of fines and reputational damage. Visit AventusSystems.com today to find out why 80% of the firms who take a custom demo become clients. Shine a light on your trading today with Aventus. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. 
I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone, and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at Exodus.com today. Do you think that one impediment for a more broad-based retail acquisition play is the fact that you don't have stocks? I think like if we think about Robinhood's position to play devil's advocate, we're just getting their earnings crossing the wire right now. I mean, huge interest. So Robinhood customers demonstrated a significant interest in cryptocurrencies with 60% of our net cumulative funded accounts trading in crypto. Right. So do you think, if we think about those 60% of accounts, it's, it's possible those folks will never go over to FTX US because you guys don't have AMC and, you know, GameStop or whatever have you. Absolutely. So that's the perfect segue into, you know, bucket number two, which is other assets, more traditional assets for uh, investing, for trading, uh, namely U.S. stocks and options. Backing up a little bit, FTX itself is a platform and it's a full stack platform for depositing money, converting your money into different kinds of assets, doing trading, matching orders between buyers and sellers, pulling that money out through withdrawals or crypto withdrawals, having an iPhone app, having an Android app, having a web app, having a, you know, a new service through the FTX signals on the app. So this is sort of this full stack product. There, very little of that is really specific to crypto at all. And so technology wise, there is no reason why we can't offer things besides crypto on the FTX app. The real reason why we don't have it yet is because you know, to offer US stocks, you, know, you have to be a licensed broker dealer and you have to find someone to clear your stock trades and a couple of other things. But that is something that we're absolutely going through the process of because we definitely would like to offer U.S. stocks to you know to investors through you know some at least you know portion of the FTX U.S. platform. And we think exactly the way you are saying is the people are going to invest probably they want to pick one platform and stick to it. And that platform needs to have a couple of properties. It needs to have an app that they love to use. It needs to be really really easy to use and to you know deposit and withdraw their funds. And it needs to be up all the time. That's typically been a problem for both Robinhood and Coinbase, where through some of the most volatile periods in markets, both in traditional equity markets and in crypto markets, we see some of these platforms either turn off or slow down, which can be incredibly frustrating for users. It can sometimes make them sort of rage quit the platform. And finally, it needs to have all the things that they want to trade. And in the US, that means probably crypto, US stocks, U.S. options on common stock are the basically the top three things. So we definitely would like to offer that and something that we're actively working on. It's interesting. You know, I kind of, you know, gave one side of the story there, right? It could help you go after Robinhood, but it's clearly something that Coinbase isn't interested in at right. all. They've kind of taken the opposite approach and have said, you know, we're going to lean into 
DeFi exposure. So it's not it's not so much the case that one is 100% correct or 100% wrong, but it sounds like you're maybe going a bit after, you know, and, and obviously everyone's trying to do their own thing at the same time, but right. it sounds like you're a little bit trying to go after the launch of Robinhood versus maybe Coinbase. It's interesting. There's a few different ways to look at this, right? Like one way to look at it is, are we trying to go you know, head to head with Robinhood? But maybe it's more that we're trying to go head to head with Coinbase again. And you know, maybe it's we think it's enough of a value proposition for people to move over from Coinbase that we have better uptime and we have lower fees and we're innovating very fast and we're super responsive to users and we have great customer service. But maybe that's not enough and we need something more to push them over the edge and say, hey, you know what? There's this huge class of things you can do with FTX US that you can't with Coinbase. It doesn't seem like Coinbase will ever do or won't do in the near future. And that's enough for me to do like the high fixed cost move of take all my assets out of one platform and move it to another one and sort of learn a new platform. So yeah, I think maybe we see this more as you know, we our crypto product is great and it's where we make our money now. We want more people to use that. And the way to do that is to sort of pull them in by showing them you can trade other things too, but still crypto is our main thing. And it's more of a head-to-head play with Coinbase than it is with Robinhood. So I think there's a few ways to look at it. Makes a lot of sense. Let's zoom out and like, Think about, you know, juxtapose your background with what you're doing now. There's been a lot of different news articles or conversations around how brokers make money, how they function, all these different things, payment sure. order flow. Yep. When you came to FTX, you know, there's this backdrop of, you know, how brokers operate. And maybe you're thinking, all right, I have this HFT sort of background. How can I change the way things work? And how does it work? You know, maybe for our our listeners who aren't completely plugged in, obviously we charge, you know, you said 50 basis points to make a trade at FTX. Other places charge more. Are there other ways you guys are making money? Is there a crypto version of PFOF? And going back to the first part of the question, how how have you thought about changing the market structure? Yeah, super interesting question. Traditional equity markets, like let's just focus on the equity markets for a second. They are complex. They're really complex. There are so many different moving pieces. And the market structure has evolved so much over time that even for for experts, it's sort of hard to wrap your head around just to talk about it a little bit. So in the US, people think about the stock exchange to trade Apple. Maybe they think of NASDAQ because NASDAQ is the primary place where Apple is listed. But really there are something like 15 different exchanges that show their prices that where you can see the full order book of all the different orders that are in there for the different stocks that all list Apple. So there's three different NASDAQ exchanges, NASDAQ, NASDAQ VX, NASDAQ PSX. There's NYSE, NYSE ARCA, NYSE Regional. I'm probably missing one there. There's four different exchanges owned by SIBO, BATS, BATS Y, EDGEX, EDGE. It's just Mm -hmm. so many different exchanges to trade one stock. And they're all interconnected through something called Reg NMS, National mm-hmm. Market System, which means when you go and send an out an order, one exchange cannot fill that order price worse than you would get on another exchange. And if you, if there is another exchange at a better price, you either have to reject the order or route out to that other exchange and go get that price. But in addition to all those 15 exchanges, there are also off-market venues 
that don't participate in NMS that can't display their prices, but you can still trade them. So some of those are called dark pools. Um, some of those are called single dealer crossing networks. So there's a lot of different other places where you can trade them, but then, then they have to also sort of report their trades to a central tape. And there's just so many different places where you could potentially trade Apple stock. Then if you get removed one layer from that, you have your brokers. And the broker's job is to you know, get you best execution. So you, the broker takes your order and kind of figures out who do I send your order to, or do I split it up into multiple pieces and send it to multiple venues? Mm-hmm. And let's add one more thing to the mix, which is that each one of those connections to all those different exchanges costs a lot of money. And to do it well, you often need to be as close to the exchange as possible, which means you need to be in the co-location facility that exchange is running in. And most of those co-location facilities are in New Jersey. They're basically in three towns in New Jersey, Carteret, Mawa, and Secaucus. And so you have to pay a lot of money to get servers in the same cages as exchanges in order to get the lowest latency. You know, I went there once. I went there and you'd be surprised how small. It's all big ass servers from all the training firms. And then the matching engine, you go to the matching engine, it's like this box, like this big. Yes, it's it's pretty in some ways, it's kind of unexciting or anticlimactic. It's just it's super. Rack, it's just some green lights, you know, going off inside of a bunker inside of a otherwise fairly sleepy place in New Jersey, mm. um, and that's where everything is happening. It's not happening on Wall Street. It's happening in middle of nowhere, New Jersey. And then on top of this all, you have to pay the exchange exorbitant fees to get their market data. We're talking, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month just to get you know one specific exchange feed from one exchange and if you want to do real best execution you need all of the exchange feeds so because of this enormous fixed cost barrier to entry to doing a good best x business that's why these sort of market making firms came about you know your two sigmas your citadel securities your virtues where basically they went to the brokers and said how about this you send us your orders mm-hmm. and we'll fill them at really good prices and we'll pass along the improvement so we can fill them at better than you would get in the exchange we'll pass along some of the improvement to you as long as you promise to send us you know some portion of your fills and that's what payment for order flow is and it sort of makes sense why it came about but it i feel like it came about as a result of this enormous complexity so with that, all that background now you think about the crypto markets and they're just completely different because i haven't even mentioned the fact that those exchanges nasdaq nisi arca are not where you actually put your money you put your money at a clearing firm like mm-hmm. uh, JP Morgan or Bank of America Merrill Lynch. And they settle the trades and all the, the settlement of funds and stock between all these different exchanges. For something like FTX, there's really one player and it's FTX. We hold the money, we have the matching engine, we do the clearing, we do the settlements, we have the market data. The market data is all free. All the connections are free. The API is free. We're in the public cloud, we're in AWS. That's where our you know, exchange matching engine is hosted. So as long as you want to get into AWS, you have the same access as everyone else. And AWS nodes are pretty inexpensive. So the whole infrastructure, the whole microstructure has really been flipped on its head from the way they are in the equity markets. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't things to learn from those equity markets to make crypto better. You know, there's a lot of safeguards and protections that some crypto exchanges like FTX use, like certain you know price bands, for example, to make sure that you know, crazy volatility events and flash crashes don't happen too often. Mm. Um, That not every exchange sort of self-imposes because there are no self-regulatory organizations telling all the crypto exchanges what to do, at least not yet. But 
those kinds of things I think would be helpful for crypto markets, but they haven't really come about yet. But that a little bit sort of the way that I'm, I'm looking at things sort of from the traditional. Well, let me let me just break down real quick yeah. just for the listeners. So I think reading in between the lines of this really great summary of the players and complexity of U.S. equity markets is the fact that in crypto, you don't have folks kind of offloading their flow for a rebate because they're controlling all the apparatuses of the value chain of trading, right? So I don't, you don't need to go necessarily and offload. You'll have market makers on the venue, but you don't need to sort of offload the matching to some other entity because you do the matching and you make money from the custody and the clearing and the like. Right, exactly. And it's a high margin business for trading fees. And part of that is the fact that we don't have all of these sort of middle persons in, in the way of the trade. And it's really nice and simple and we can control it all. So we know we, we don't need to kind of farm out the most valuable piece of it to someone else. So then that kind of leads to what you were about to say before I interrupted. Where do you see FTX and yourself helming? Yeah. The organization changing some things. So the thing that I feel someone like myself can bring over from the traditional finance world is less to do with the specific way that the microstructure of equity markets has been set up and more to do with the fact that firms like the ones that I've worked in have been building super large scale, high throughput, low latency distributed systems for a decade or decades in some cases. And because this crypto industry has grown up so quickly, you really do have a mix of quality in terms of technology. You have people who threw together the simplest possible thing they can think of, but they've never had to build an exchange or an algorithmic trading system before. And so knowing how to build something super stable and super scalable, is just not something they've experienced yet. And then they kind of go through this sort of trial and error period of bringing things up and things crashing and bringing things up and fixing and things crashing again. And I think there's a lot of transferable skills and information from just the world of building this kind of infrastructure from the traditional finance world. I think that's you know one part of it. Uh, the other part of it is simply knowing how to run an organization at scale that has a bunch of engineers and other non-engineering folks working together to sort of prioritize the right business tasks and translate those into technology problems and build those out and get those to market as fast as possible and do so in a way that's safe. I mean, one thing that makes doing software development for finance in general so exciting and so lucrative and also terrifying is the fact that billions of dollars of people's funds could be flowing through the Python program that you write, which is sort of mind boggling to think about that. But when you're in that world and thinking about building some piece of software to do that, you have a completely different mindset than if you're building like a video game, which, you know, if that video game crashes, oh, well, people are angry, but it's not potential devastating economic loss. And so that's another sort of piece of the sort of transferable mindset and skill from the traditional finance world that I'm hoping that people like myself with experience in this industry can help bring over so that the industry does mature. So that regulators do see that our software is not ill-considered. It is very, very carefully considered, very thoughtfully put together to be robust and help you know, protect our clients' funds and our clients' trading at even the most sort of volatile times. Let's focus a bit on the engineering side. I think it's something that's kind of captured the attention of the crypto market. I know FTX has five 
engineers or something. I think it was talked about in the spaces last night or the night yeah. before. It, so I'm assuming FTX US has like one part-time guy who moonlights as a barista and then does some coding and then you do it too. What is what is the that's exactly right. So I mean I I do code and work on stuff with a you know small portion of my time where it sort of waxes and wanes based on you know other things that are going on, whether they be you know hiring, company building, business development. It sort of depends. As as Sam and the shot and Ramnick were saying in the spaces <laughs> last night, like people are generalists in this company. You know, no one yeah. person is really pigeonholed into one specific job. And yeah. people sort of do a little bit of everything with their time or they try to do as much as possible with as few hours a day as the 24 hour day allots us. But yeah, it's, it's something like that, <laughs> you know, but of course we're, we're leveraging a lot of the technology that we can share across mm. the two organizations, which certainly helps. But when we think about all the things that we would like to do on the US side, whether those be stocks or improving the retail app or moving into derivatives or, you know, building out our NFT marketplace, so that will require more engineering resources. So probably five for the entire you know, FTX conglomerate isn't the right long-term number. Mm -hmm. um, it's not 500. I, I don't think we want to get there. We all share this common belief that by having this lean organization, we are constantly focusing on only the most important things. And also it's very agile, you know, with a lowercase a, sometimes capital A agile means something different in the software development world, but it's very agile in the sense that we can move very quickly. The people who are actually have the ability to make changes to the code base are the ones also coming up with those ideas. And so there's a very sort of tight feedback loop of getting ideas that are in your head out into the market. And so I, we definitely are hiring engineers. I mean, mm -hmm. I've tried to advertise a lot on, on Twitter and through other things that, you know, we're super interested in trying to hire really amazing engineers, but the bar is super high because we want those few other people who can come in, really understand the whole system uh, and really help push us to the next level uh, without having to grow the organization by some huge amount. Well, what areas are you maybe thinking, all right, we need a lot of people for this? Sure. Or is it kind of broad-based, let's stay lean? I would say the two areas where we are definitely growing in headcount and deliberately are in customer support, customer experience, and in the AML KYC compliance area. So on the former, I think that one's sort of pretty straightforward. You know, we, as we grow our user base, we will just have more users needing help, asking questions, and we want to be responsive and we want to be somewhat real time with our responses. And you know, you can't leave all of those to, you know, Siri. You need, you need actual humans on there who understand what they're doing and helping them with their issues in a way that's truly understanding of what problems they're having. And mm -hmm. then on the AML KYC side, that might not be as, as obvious to people. So, you know, we have this very strict by necessity AML KYC process where, you know, we take users' information and we validate lots of things about that user. We make sure that they're not in some prohibited jurisdiction. We make sure that their ID information matches who they say they are. We make sure that they are live people, like they're not taking some you know, photo from the internet from some other person. We make sure that they are not on some you know, AML sanctions list somewhere. So there's a lot that we have to do. And ideally you can automate that whole pipeline, but it's a hard problem. You know, for example, maybe you, know, you have some old you know, 
Florida state driver's license. And, you know, it's been in your pocket for a long time and it's sort of been scratched off a little bit. It's a little bit blurry. And so the, you know, AI image recognition that's trying to pull your information off the ID and match it to your name fails for some reason. Now, we still want that person to go through the process and eventually be able to trade as long as they're able to. And so it'll pass to a person and that person will look at it and make sure, make a determination whether this person sort of passes the, the process or not. And again, as we get more and more people wanting to sign up and use the platform to trade, by necessity, we just need more and more people able to do that particular job. And, and then in general, in the compliance area, you know, a, a huge area of focus for the US business is the fact that we are, we are a regulated business. We're looking to get into other regulated areas of trading, for example, in derivatives or stocks. And that requires a lot of work and upkeep and collaboration with agencies like you know, FINRA or the CFTC to answer questions, to respond to audits, to provide information. So this is just going to be a growing area for us. So we necessarily need to staff in that area. Has it been difficult engaging with regulators? Because <laughs> I feel like the the backdrop, like it's just not looking great. You know, you see the headlines with the, you know, the tax provision and Gensler doesn't seem as friendly as he was. We're getting a new CFTC guy. Who knows what he's going to be all about? I don't know much about him, but it just seems like, you know, we're getting a more immovable force. I don't know, from, from where we sit, and we've had a number of very positive discussions with regulators who really do understand the space. And not only do they understand the space, but they want to understand the space. You know, we've had some very positive conversations where it's very clear this is not just a one-time thing where, you know, we drop in and say, hi, we need something from you, and then we leave. We want to be an ongoing, helpful resource to them. And this is not just true from what I've seen in crypto. This isn't true in, in equities and futures markets in general, where the actual market participants, so your exchanges, your trading firms, are obviously going to understand the cutting edge of that industry much better than regulators, because they're just on the front lines of that battle every single day. They are the ones pushing the bleeding edge of this innovation every single day. So they're going to know what's happening before regulators. So in order for them to be able to work with us and craft you know, cooperative regulation to make sure that we can still innovate while making sure people are safe, we have to talk to them. So I think some of what we're seeing in the media is potentially overblown, but also that up to now in general, I think players in the crypto industry have largely avoided regulators mm. and we can't do that. You know, that's not a sustainable thing, especially if you want to be a thriving U.S. business. We need to sort of engage them in a cooperative, ongoing way. And so in the cases that we've done that and we've been doing that, we've had actually very, very positive experiences. That's good to know. I mean, because I feel like, you know, there's obviously a lot happening behind the scenes and not everybody can, no one's going to like go and talk about the good stuff publicly. Kind of, you know, it's, well, right. I guess, well, they will, but they'll kind of do it in like a vague way. Whereas, you know, you see whenever something bad happens specifically, it's, it's out there. Wow. This is really, this is really flown by. I feel <laughs> like, I feel like we could go for another hour. It could be like a three-part novella saga. <laughs> the trilogy. The tr Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> return of the Harrison. <laughs> um, well, we'll definitely have a return of the Harrison at some point. Is there anything um, you know new and exciting that you're working on that I know you're going to get off this and start coding again? Uh, what what is it going to be? 
Oh man. Um, what can I say? So I would say, <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Well, I'll say, um, there are some, you know, micro level things that we're excited about and then some macro level things we're excited about. So on the micro side, for example, we, we just announced we're doing a partnership with Taxbit and a very common thing that our users ask us for is just help creating statements, account mm. statements, activity statements, things that they can plug into TurboTax to do their taxes. And it feels like it's a boring area, but it's really quite complex to do to do taxes in this area. And to be a good service for the US retail market, um, we have to integrate it. So we are you know, connecting with them and we're gonna be adding a lot of their services into our app. That's sort of like a small thing we're doing. On the macro side, you know, we are thinking about how we can engage with the derivatives market in the US. So FTX.com has offered derivatives for a long time, but that has been outside the US and mm -hmm. not sort of under CFTC jurisdiction. We really would love to be a CFTC regulated futures exchange. And to do that, it requires, you know, having the right licenses. And that's sort of a, a process which we're very, very actively thinking about and working through. And that's been taking up some good portion of my time as well. So those are sort of two very, very different things, but just to give a kind of a, a flavor of the of the diversity of what's going on. I just like this is a we can get you back on in a few months. I just feel like that's not gonna be maybe this is trite a trite take, but I feel like it's not gonna be easy. I feel like a more aggressive take would be like, I don't think that's gonna happen because it's just what why hasn't it happened yet? Why you know the they're not letting Coinbase do margin. The list goes on. Anyway. We could get into it. Maybe that could be the final word. I feel like that's just going to be a Herculean undertaking to convince the CFTC. Well, what we can do is we'll put a pin on it here. And then you know, <laughs> when, I, when, when I'm back, we'll see where things have gone. And you can either tell me, nothing's happened, man. What's going on? Yeah, or you or can tell you me can I'm wrong. Like, oh, my God, so much has happened since we last talked. And then we can, we can talk about what, what, what was going on. Perfect. Well, where can people learn more about you? Where can they, you know, you're on the Twitter and you know, FTX. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Brett underscore FTXUS on Twitter. Our exchange website is FTX.us. We have two apps, FTX, the app just called FTX. Mm -hmm. And there's also the FTX US Pro app for you know the professional traders out there who want the more advanced features. And uh, yeah, we're very, very excited to have as you know, as many users come to our platform as, as we can. Awesome. Well, Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show. Excited to talk to you again soon. Definitely. Take it easy. Thanks so much, Frank. The Scoop will be back for you again with another exciting guest. Talk to you all soon.